What's happening in the world coming up on NTD News? First, our top stories. Has the DOJ become politicized and weaponized? U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland responds to accusations at a House at a hearing today. Former President Trump is set to speak in Iowa later today, still commanding a strong lead in the polls. We get an on-the-ground perspective from voters at the event. Donald Trump Jr.'s ex-account is hacked. A series of startling and bizarre messages had to be removed after it was restored. Changes to voting systems across the U.S. Potential voters are now being registered automatically in Pennsylvania. Meanwhile, Alabama wants to end voter fraud. A Biden nominee was rejected by the Senate, but is quietly appointed to a similar position with no vote. He's overseeing home appliance regulations. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers, our top news. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland is testifying before the House Judiciary Committee today. The focus of today's hearing is to determine whether the Department of Justice has become politicized and weaponized under Garland's leadership. In his opening statement, Garland emphasized that the DOJ's duty is not to do what is politically convenient, nor to take orders from the president or Congress. In his words, I am not the president's lawyer. Republicans on the panel will likely grill Garland with questions about the investigation into President Biden's son, Hunter, as well as special counsel Jack Smith's two indictments of Trump. In his opening statement, House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan mentioned last week's indictment of Hunter Biden, saying, the fix is in. Donald Trump Jr.'s account on social media platform X shows a series of odd posts. His spokesman confirms that the account was hacked. The odd messages include one saying that his father died, but the senior Trump posted to Truth Social shortly after his son's bizarre X post. On the hacked account, one post insulted Joe Biden with profanities and another insulted Elon Musk. Another post threatened North Korea, and a mysterious one says he chatted with con convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Trump Jr.'s spokesman retweeted one of the posts and said it was obviously not true. The posts were removed shortly before 9 this morning, and the account looks like it's back to normal. House Republicans unhappy about the Hunter Biden case. The president's son is expected to plead not guilty to gun crime charges, but Republicans feel the charges brought don't go far enough. Let's hear from Paul Kaminar, lead counsel at the National Legal and Policy Center, about the latest in this legal saga. Paul Kaminar, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Paul, Hunter Biden has been indicted on gun charges and is expected to plead not guilty. Why are Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee displeased with these charges and still claim the president's son is being shielded by the DOJ? Well, it's because that uh, there are other charges that have to be brought as well. I mean, they brought uh, these two misdemeanor tax charges in Delaware, <clears throat> and uh, uh, clearly they should be felony violations. So uh, expect those to be filed uh, either here in the District of Columbia or in Los Angeles. So those tax charges have to be filed. Now, there's also uh, Foreign Agent Registration Act charges that should be filed as well. Uh, our organization, the National Legal Policy Center, filed a complaint with DOJ three years ago 
laying out the evidence why, why uh, Hunter Biden should have registered as a foreign agent for Burisma and a Chinese energy company. So we have to wait for those as well. And is that likely to come through? Well, we'll see. Uh, if it doesn't come through, certainly uh, the House Oversight Committees and now the House Impeachment Inquiry Committee should, should look into why these fair violations were not brought. And in about 45 minutes from now, uh, we're going to be hearing from Mayor Garland, uh, who's testifying before the House Judiciary Committee, and he should be asked a lot of these questions about the appointment of of, of uh, David Weiss as special counsel and, and so forth, and, but expect him to uh, uh, bob and weave on his answers, as usual. Now, Paul, Hunter Biden's attorney, Abe Lowell, said the charges were brought against his client due to political pressure and uh, will ultimately be, quote, dismissed um, before trial. What do you make of that statement? Well, you know, he, he's basically making that argument uh, uh, to defend his client, but there is no defense. He, he clearly violated uh, the, the gun laws, both in the registration and possession of the gun. Uh, and and uh, uh, he's going to try to dismiss it because he's claimed that he still has the uh, uh, diversion agreement that he did in Delaware a few months ago because he claims that it was still a valid agreement, even though the judge uh, uh, did not sign off on it. So that's one argument he's going to make. And he's going to make an interesting other argument that this law is unconstitutional because there's a recent Fifth Circuit opinion that said a marijuana user, uh, uh, it's unconstitutional under the Second Amendment to prohibit that person from having a gun. But, you know, the gun charges are really a sideshow. The main charges are the felony charges for the tax violations and the foreign agents registration violations. I look at these gun charges as just sort of an icing on the cake, but I like to see the cake first. All right, Paul, and what's next in this case here? Well, there'll be uh, uh, an arraignment uh, of Hunter Biden uh, be before the, uh, the district court here in D.C. and expect then these uh, uh, motions to dismiss charges being filed. But again, uh, David Weiss will be filing soon uh, uh, tax charges, and he has to file those uh, because he's already filed them in Delaware. So it's just a matter of his filing here in D.C. And, and the interesting thing is, uh, Mayor Garland appointed him as a special counsel, but when asked back in June why he didn't appoint him as a special counsel, he said, oh, David Weiss has more authority than a special counsel as a U.S. attorney. So my question is, well, if he has more authority than as a U.S. attorney, does that mean he has less authority now? I mean, this is really crazy, and, and the uh, oversight committees need to get to the bottom of this and, and grill Mayor Garland this morning on all these issues. Paul Kaminar, thank you. Thank you for having me. Several states are making changes to their voting systems ahead of the 2024 elections. Alabama wants to end voter fraud. Meanwhile, Pennsylvania is making voting more accessible. Here's an overview. Alabama is aiming to end voter fraud. The Secretary of State on Monday announced that they've created their own unique database. It can identify duplicate and non-resident voters, as well as deceased residents still listed on the state's voter rolls. We are the first state in the nation to implement a system like this, and I am confident that we, as a result of AVID, will have the cleanest voter rolls that we have ever had. 
AVID stands for Alabama Voter Integrity Database. It'll compare Alabama's active voter list with the Social Security Administration's death index and with the U.S. Postal Service's change of address database. It also shares voter data with neighboring states to identify residents who have obtained state IDs elsewhere. This will also flag anyone who voted in our state and another state. Alabama will use AVID to replace the controversial ERIC system. Meanwhile, a federal trial is unfolding in Texas over a 2021 voting rights law. The 2021 voting law includes a ban on 24-hour polling places and drive-through voting. The American Civil Liberties Union and others are challenging the law. They say it makes voting less accessible, mostly for less educated and non-English speaking people, as well as disabled citizens in need of voting assistance. The trial's outcome might decide voting rules that Texas will use for the 2024 elections, although any decision is likely to be appealed. And in Pennsylvania, automatic voter registration is now happening. Democratic Governor Josh Shapiro says eligible state residents will be automatically registered when they get or renew ID cards or driver's licenses. He wrote, our democracy started in Pennsylvania. Today we defended it again and implemented automatic voter registration. There is an option to opt out. Residents have to take those steps if they choose to do so. Iowa voters are lining up to see former President Trump speak this afternoon. As Trump ramps up his campaign in this key state, what does the crowd have to say? Joining us now live is NTD's Stephanie Cox. Steph, what are you seeing there in Iowa? Yeah, hi, Chris. I'm down here in Maquoketa, Iowa at the uh, Jackson County Fairgrounds. And what we're seeing is plenty of people lining up, as you mentioned, and also filing in here. We're right in the middle of the uh, event before it begins. Um, what we're seeing is people are excited to be here. This is the first state to caucus, and it's the start of what President Trump's campaign has called a weeks-long blitz in the state. So they're certainly feeling the excitement, as you can see from some of these discussions we had earlier. Well, we came here for a wonderful hoopla to see Trump, to support him in all of his important needs right now. Oh, we're hoping that he helps the farmers again. That's what we're looking for. So we're very uh, excited about that. He's done such a great job taking care of those guys already. It was very critical to look out for the farms again and get those back from the Chinese people. I suppose too much people uh, buying land in our country that shouldn't be having it. Uh, so we're here at the southwestern side of Iowa, and that's where we're normally working on things. And we come to lots of rallies, and we try to get all the crowd active and everybody running around, having a good time, and uh, involve all the citizens and all the people as best we can. Uh, where his stance is, has any of his stances changed? Uh, the one thing that I find is that when uh, Trump speaks, his yeses are yeses, his noes are noes. I don't like the wishy-washy politicians that we get sometimes, so that's kind of where I'm, I am right now. So um, big, huge Trump supporter. Believe that um, given a chance that we can go right back to where we were prior to the Biden debacle and um, feel that uh, we just need to allow the candidates to uh, debate and not have all these stupid inquiries going on where he's getting indicted here, indicted there. Just let him, let him debate that, and let the people choose. I think there's a legal way to come across that border and there's an illegal way. So I'm definitely a proponent for keeping our country safe. I feel like over the last couple of years, 
with the gaps that have been, we, we're allowing all kinds of riffraff to come in, and, and that's not good for us. And this is just the first stop of two today. Former President Trump will be speaking at another event nearby, which we will also be covering later today. The president has reportedly, the former president has reportedly uh, decided to pass on the next primary debate and instead will be heading to Detroit to speak with auto workers who, of course, have been striking. And that, of course, it pitches him more against President Biden in this campaign as opposed to against his other rivals, which are polling way far behind him in the polls. So back to you, Chris. Thank you very much, Steph. Coming up, the central bank will make an interest rate decision later today. What should we expect here from Chair Jerome Powell? And D.C. police tell lawmakers and staffers to avoid wearing jewelry. They met to advise Capitol Hill on personal safety amid rising crime in the district. We'll have more soon. Welcome back. A Biden administration nominee that failed Senate confirmation was quietly appointed to a top role in the Energy Department. It's a position that doesn't need confirmation. Jeff Marushian was appointed as the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the agency's Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. That's after he failed Senate confirmation to take the Assistant Secretary role. The position allows him to oversee the Biden administration's Home Appliance Regulation Program. His confirmation bid failed after Senator Joe Manchin opposed the administration's actions to regulate gas-powered stoves. But the new appointment essentially gives Marushian the role he originally sought. No one else was nominated to be his superior in the office. Marushian previously served as special assistant to President Biden. Before that, he was the director of the Washington, D.C. Transportation Department. How to cope with Washington, D.C.'s rising crime rates? D.C. police held a special session to tell lawmakers how to safeguard themselves. Rising crime has become a major issue in the Capitol. The informal safety meeting was held on Monday. Attendees were advised not to wear jewelry on public transportation and to keep their phone calls brief while walking. Congressman Brian Stile hosted the meeting, which involved representatives from the Capitol Police and the Metropolitan Police Union. Stile pointed out the crime wave in Washington is forcing the Capitol Police to take action against street crime rather than focusing on guarding the Capitol. Metropolitan Police Department data shows a 38% rise in the violent crime compared to the same period last year. Lawmakers and government staffers have been among the victims of violent crime this year. An anticipated interest rate decision later this afternoon. Today will conclude the two-day policy meeting at the Federal Reserve, and all eyes are on the central bank and Chair Jerome Powell. Here with us to discuss is NTD Business's Don Ma, Don, what should we expect from the Fed today? Well, Chris, I think uh, a question that almost everyone wants answered is whether or not uh, the Fed will again raise interest rates. 
Now, keep in mind that the central bank has raised rates to a 22-year high in July. But, you know, currently the expectation is that officials will not raise rates, actually, at this meeting. Uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell will hold a post-meeting conference as well. Uh, and during that, he will likely say, you know, something along the lines of that uh, inflation remains high. Uh, and it's going to leave the door open for them for another rate increase. You know, he doesn't want to sound too soft in his language, right? He, he needs us to know that he's determined to do anything necessary to cool inflation, Chris. And what do investors want to hear from uh, Powell in the post-meeting news conference? Well, invest investors will be looking for clues, uh, actually, that the Fed is done hiking rates. Uh, financial markets are already looking to the next Fed meeting. They currently see a 69% chance the Fed will pause rate increases. And Chris, the reason why investors are so interested in what the Fed does is because when the Fed stops hiking rates, uh, then what comes next is actually rate cuts. And that's really what investors want because lower rates uh, is, is good for the stock market, of course, and companies can earn more money in that environment. Uh, it's no surprise that, you know, at the end of the day, Chris, it's all about money. The, the Fed's interest rate hikes does affect the stock market. So, you know, that's, that's really why the Federal Reserve is in center, center stage now for the past couple of years. And that's why we're talking about interest rates. And Don, how do the Fed's interest rate decisions affect people's investments? Well, some investors uh, make trades actually based on what they anticipate uh, what will happen with the Fed's interest rates. It's actually a trillion dollar market there. Um, that's also why in general the Fed tries to avoid making decisions that go against market expectations. Um, and when the Fed does so, it can cause markets to be more volatile. And let me just give you an example here of how Powell's words can actually impact markets. So in a speech last year, Powell uh, used harsher language than markets were expecting. Uh, he, he warned that interest rate hikes would, uh, would mean pain for U.S. households. And that statement sent uh, the Dow down by 1,000 points. And that's partly why the Fed, Fed officials uh, regularly make public remarks to signal how they plan to vote at upcoming meetings and pro provide forward guidance so that um, investors have more time to prepare. All right, Don, thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. This year's holiday shopping experience may not be the same as Christmas's past. America's retailers are expected to add 410,000 seasonal positions for the holiday shopping season. That's according to an estimate from outplacement services firm Challenger Gray and Christmas. The projection would mark the industry's lowest seasonal hiring total since 2008. Of major retailers who have announced hiring plans, Amazon is the only one so far to say it is increasing its numbers. The e-retail giant says it'll add 250,000 employees ahead of the holiday season. That would be a significant jump from last year's holiday workforce. Experts say Americans' spending habits have shifted lately to focus on must-haves like groceries. Even so, they're still splurging, but on things like international travel and dining out. When we come back, a high-ranking university gets low marks for free speech. Find out why some say its campus is hostile toward conservatives. And a tremendous opportunity for students on Maui 
The University of Hawaii is offering full scholarships to high school seniors in Lahaina. We'll have more on the heartwarming message soon. Coming up on our next installment of America's Hope, we focus on... Thank you for staying with us. Conflict between Florida and a state university. Lawmakers want to stop diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts on campuses, but they're meeting resistance. Epic Times reporter Darlene Sanchez has exclusive coverage. We speak with her. Darlene Sanchez, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Darlene, first, tell us about Florida Senate Bill 266. Well, Florida Senate Bill 266 basically banned um, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, funding for universities throughout uh, Florida. It also, part of that provision was to um, ban the advocacy of these type of programs, political, um, they're, it's a political ideology actually, diversity, equity, inclusion. It sounds like, um, you know, sounds great. Why would you not want that? But that's not really what it is. It's more of, as Governor DeSantis has said, uh, indoctrination. Um, it's a political ideology that a lot of students are having to, um, you know, deal with on campus as well as staff and faculty. Now, a public affairs administrator of Florida State's university system told the Epic Times they're 100% committed to implementing uh, Senate Bill 266. But in your recent article, you're saying that the University of Florida doesn't exactly share that sentiment. How so? Well, what's happening is, you know, yes, the, the Florida Board of Governors definitely wants, you know, this ideology out of, you know, the colleges. That's part of the law. They're their job is to actually come up with specific rules and definitions for what political activism or diversity, equity, inclusion means. But these people who are on the ground working there at the university, they say that it is business as usual when it comes down to DEI. They're just scrubbing the names, changing the names, um, sometimes not even bothering to do that. Uh, there's a lot of diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, programs. You know, you can go on there and do a search and you know, hundreds will pop up. So what they're saying is it's just kind of a facade, you know, that they're doing anything about it at this point. And a staffer, a faculty member, and an administrator at the University of Florida spoke to the Epic Times anonymously about UF's environment. They said that it's hostile towards conservatives there. What else did they say? Well, when they were talking about the hostility there, for example, they were describing when people would come in and apply for jobs that the um, hiring um, committees would actually go in there and look at their voter registration to see if they, you know, were Republican. And if so, you know, they were using that to weed them out. Um, they were also talking about when, you know, there's com hiring committees and there is a white male who is probably the, you know, or who is the best candidate in that situation. And if there are minority candidates as well, um, the white male candidate would have to be head, you know, 
head above the rest in order to get the job, that if it was anywhere close, it would go to the minority candidate. And they, you know, they've been privy to that and, and been on some of those committees to see it happen themselves. Epic Times reporter Darlene Sanchez, thank you for your insight on this. Thank you so much. The University of Hawaii surprised nearly 200 high school seniors in Lahaina with a tremendous opportunity. It's been more than a month since the deadly wildfires swept across Maui. All that you have gone through, some of you have lost homes, family members, um, your parents have lost jobs. I, I know it's a really difficult time. Um, and what we want to do at the University of Hawaii is make sure that you have the opportunity to go to college. We are offering every one of you uh, Lahaina, Luna, Lahaina Luna seniors, including those who made other arrangements after uh, August 8th, um, a full scholarship to any UH campus to which you are admitted. Students from the high school have been attending classes at a temporary site after the August 8th wildfire destroyed their school. Drug maker Eli Lilly is suing 10 U.S. medical spas, wellness centers, and compounding pharmacies. That's over sales of products claiming to contain non-FDA-approved mixed medication. The company says they're suing to protect patients. Eli Lilly is the maker of Mounjaro, an FDA-approved medicine used to treat type 2 diabetes. Eli Lilly says other companies have been marketing and selling an imitation and says those versions do not have the active ingredient terzepatide. They say compounded versions of terzepatide can expose users to potentially serious health risks. The FDA has not issued a compounding warning for terzepatide. Confidential Microsoft documents leaked overnight, detailing the company's Xbox plans for the next few years. The head of Xbox is responding to the issue. The documents are from a legal battle between the Federal Trade Commission and Microsoft. They contain communications about the company's release of future consoles and potential plans to buy Nintendo. The FTC is suing to block Microsoft from buying video game studio Activision Blizzard for nearly $69 billion. Microsoft hopes to close the deal next month. Forbes reports it appears the documents were accidentally leaked by Microsoft, which owns Xbox, the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer posted on social media that it's difficult to see their team's work shared in this way because so much has changed. He added they'll share the real plans when they're ready. The leaked documents are more than a year old. Bankrupt crypto firm FTX sued the parents of founder Sam Bankman-Fried. They allege that Stanford professors Joseph Bankman and Barbara Fried used the company to enrich themselves at the expense of FTX customers. The lawsuit alleges that Bankman and Freed accepted a $10 million cash gift and luxury property in the Bahamas. They also pushed FTX to donate millions to Stanford University. This was all while FTX itself was on the brink of bankruptcy. When we come back, the Russian president accepting an invitation to visit China in October. We have more on his first trip abroad since being wanted by the International Criminal Court for war crimes. Another possible war averted following a ceasefire deal between Armenian forces and Azerbaijan that came one day after armed clashes broke out in disputed regions. What's behind the tensions? 
and a powerful tornado in eastern China claimed at least 10 lives. We'll have more on the disaster after this short break. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland is testifying before the House Judiciary Committee today. He defended himself against accusations the Department of Justice has become politicized and weaponized under his leadership. Former President Trump is in Iowa beginning what his campaign calls a blitz of events in the key state, starting with a rally this afternoon. Donald Trump Jr.'s ex-account was restored after being hacked. The hackers posted a series of bizarre messages, with one claiming Trump Jr.'s father died. Some states are changing voting rules ahead of the 2024 elections. Alabama created a new database to prevent voter fraud, while Pennsylvania is automatically registering people to vote when they get or update their IDs. A Biden nominee to oversee home appliance regulation was rejected by the Senate, but is essentially getting the job anyway after he was appointed to a similar position not requiring approval. Israel's ambassador to the UN was detained at, a, at the UN General Assembly in New York yesterday. That was for leaving to protest during Iranian leader Ibrahim Raisi's speech. Security personnel grabbed Ambassador Gilad Erdan when he walked out of the assembly hall. He left after holding up a picture of Masa Amini, whose death last year sparked waves of protests. Eyewitnesses say she was beaten to death by Iran's so-called morality police. She was arrested for not wearing a hijab, a law Iran recently increased the penalty for. Iran's leader was sanctioned by the U.S. after 5,000 Iranian political prisoners were massacred in 1988 and for the death of around 1,500 Iranian protesters in 2019. Staying with the U.N. summit, Taiwan is gaining support from world leaders. Presidents of Guatemala, Paraguay, and Palau have all called for the U.N. to admit Taiwan as a member. The government of Paraguay expresses its support for the Republic of China, Taiwan, to be an integral part of the United Nations system. Taiwan was excluded from the United Nations under a 1971 U.N. resolution. The body recognizes Beijing as a legitimate representative of China. Beijing claims Taiwan as its own territory, despite never having ruled the island. Paraguay is the last South American country to maintain official relations with Taiwan. Meanwhile, the Czech head of state also condemned Beijing's military aggressiveness in the Taiwan Strait and the South China Sea. He called for international efforts to combat these global threats. And Russian President Vladimir Putin formally accepting an invitation to visit China with a date set in October. Putin is expected to meet Chinese leader Xi Jinping during the upcoming visit. The trip would mark Putin's first appearance abroad since an arrest warrant was issued against him by the International Criminal Court. That was over alleged deportation of children from Ukraine, an allegation the Kremlin denies. The Russian leader is currently hosting Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi in St. Petersburg. Over to mainland China, a powerful tornado tore through eastern Jiangsu province Tuesday, killing at least 10 people. State media says several more were injured. 
with over 50 homes damaged. Social media footage shows overturned cars, downed power lines, and flying debris, much of which litter the streets in a city north of the province. Officials issued warnings against heavy rain and strong winds in multiple regions. And in South Korea, U.S. soldiers in the country are being questioned about a drug smuggling operation. Back in May, police raided two U.S. Army bases after receiving intelligence of alleged cannabis smuggling and distribution. The recreational use of marijuana and cannabis products are illegal in South Korea. During the raid, they seized 11 ounces of synthetic liquid cannabis, 27 electronic cigarettes, and nearly $13,000 in cash. Police say a 24-year-old American soldier allegedly smuggled the cannabis into the country through military mail. It was then sold to a Filipino distributor, a South Korean distributor, and other U.S. soldiers. The two distributors have been arrested. Nearly 20 people, including 17 U.S. soldiers, were brought in for questioning. A ceasefire was agreed upon between ethnic Armenian forces and Azerbaijan one day after Baku launched a military offensive in a disputed region. Azerbaijan said today it halted what it called an anti-terrorist operation. The fighting broke out Tuesday after Azerbaijan sent troops to Karabakh, aiming to force the divided region into submission. Armenian forces surrendered and agreed to a ceasefire. The terms indicate that the area's return to Azerbaijani control starting Tuesday. Talks will discuss the region's future and the fate of Armenians. Russian peacekeepers supervised the handover of weapons. Both Armenia and Azerbaijan were part of the Soviet Union. Since the collapse of the USSR, the two have fought two wars over disputed regions. Let's look at how this whole conflict started. Nagorno-Karabakh is at the center of the conflict. It's a mountainous region within Azerbaijan and is internationally recognized as part of it. But it's known as Artsakh by Armenians, and its 120,000 inhabitants are predominantly ethnic Armenians. They have their own government, which is close to Armenia, but not officially recognized by it or any other country. Armenians, who are Christians, claim a presence in the area dating back several centuries before Christ. Azerbaijan, whose inhabitants are mostly Turkic Muslims, also claim deep historical ties. Bloody conflict between the two peoples goes back more than a century. The region saw two wars after the Soviet Union crumbled. One that took place between 1988 and 1994, and a second that lasted 44 days in 2020. Over the course of the two wars, tens of thousands died. In the first war, over a million people were displaced. Most of those were Azeris, driven from their homes when Armenia ended up with control over Nagorno-Karabakh. In the second, Azerbaijan managed to take back a third of Nagorno-Karabakh. Russia brokered a ceasefire between the two, providing peacekeepers to guard the Lachin Corridor, a crucial road that connects the territory to Armenia. Analysts say successive rounds of talks have brought the two sides closer to a permanent peace treaty, but a final settlement remains elusive. Tensions started ratcheting up again when a group of Azerbaijani civilians, identifying themselves as environmental activists, began blocking the Lachin Corridor. An Azerbaijan checkpoint was set up, blocking the flow of goods to Armenia. 
It caused what the U.S. called a rapidly deteriorating humanitarian situation. The International Committee of the Red Cross was able to make aid deliveries this week. When we come back, Starbucks aims to stop using disposable cups by 2030. Find out how the coffee giant's latest sustainability goal would work. And with expertise and a loving heart, a marine biologist is fighting to protect sharks in San Francisco Bay. Find out more on her special mission when we come back. Thanks for staying with us. Starbucks says it wants to stop using disposable cups by 2030. The coffee giant aims to reduce its waste and greenhouse gas emissions in its latest sustainability effort. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on what's being brewed. The Starbucks coffee cup has been an American icon since 1987. It's also become a symbol of our throwaway society. Starbucks has a history of ambitious sustainability goals. The coffee giant's head of sustainability, Michael Kabori, says the chain now hopes to move away from disposable cups. We really want to get to, and we know we need to get to, a single-use cup that is either compostable or recyclable or move to a reusable cup. This Starbucks doesn't use disposable paper or plastic cups. Customers can bring their own or they can take a reusable plastic one that can be dropped off in bins. Kabori wants being green to be convenient. So that's our goal. Our holy grail is someday to have all reusable cups, whether that's a cup that the customer brings, their own personal cup, whether it's uh, when they're sitting in the cafe, it's a ceramic mug that we serve the product in, or it's a what we call our new borrow a cup, Starbucks is the largest coffee company in the world. The corporate behemoth has more than 37,000 stores in 86 countries. Kabori hopes Starbucks sets an example for other companies. If we can crack the code and figure out how to implement a reusable cup system everywhere and not have any more single-use disposable cups, everybody will follow. Lawyer John Solorzano advises companies on developing climate-friendly operations. He says converting an operation the size of Starbucks is a huge challenge. It's kind of like turning a, an aircraft carrier around. Like you would think it's as, as it, companies this big are just not as nimble as you would like them to be, um, as, as, as nimble as they would like to be. It's just these supply chains, they probably have hundreds of suppliers directly and indirectly who are helping to manufacture a cup. Erin Simon is Vice President for Plastic Waste and Business at World Wildlife Fund. She says corporate collaboration and government regulation are needed to make significant change. That's a really important signal to send to the market, right, that they are doing those things, that they are going to be reducing their impact. But we also have seen over the past um, few years that these company commitments on their own are not enough to change the system. But whether or not Starbucks' latest efforts will have any impact on climate change remains to be seen. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A marine biologist is on a special mission. She's helping one species of shark survive in San Francisco Bay after the record rainfall this year altered their nursing grounds. Let's take a look. Marine expert Megan Holst is in her element. My little baby. 
The PhD candidate at University of California, Davis, is fighting to protect sharks in the San Francisco Bay. Oh, I think you might have been there for a minute. I'm sorry, Bubs. They're looking for a specific type, the broad-nosed sevengill. This is my favorite, the wagging tail. The bay is home to one of the world's only known year-round nurseries for the species, says Holst. This is the only population that we know of that is putting all of their pups in one location in this nursery ground. Now that can be fine, except that uh, they're literally putting all their eggs in one basket. So if something happens to San Francisco Bay, then we might lose an entire cohort of, of these seven gill juveniles. As its name suggests, this apex predator has seven gills as opposed to the five on most sharks. He's so cute. This is a baby seven gill. It can be found around the world, including New Zealand, South Africa, and Argentina. Though population numbers have proved elusive for scientists, the International Union for Conservation of Nature describes the species as vulnerable and says the population is decreasing. Sharks are a really great sign for a healthy, sustainable ecosystem, and they are what keeps our ecosystem in check. Uh, but it's hard to say whether or not their actual presence means that things are good in San Francisco Bay. Record rain and snow in California last winter replenished reservoirs, but the resulting freshwater runoff may have impacted the ecosystem, says Holst. And so I actually haven't seen the seven gills in a while, and that's something I'm really interested in, in looking at is where are they going when maybe the water is too fresh in San Francisco Bay for them and they might get pushed out. Once the sharks are on board, the team collects all manner of data, taking blood and muscle biopsy samples before releasing the fish. Hopefully my science will help demonstrate that this is actually a pupping and nursery ground, which can potentially put some protections on those juveniles. But I just couldn't believe that all of these sharks are here and there's almost nobody really looking at them, especially not consistently. Good job, guys. The world's longest cheese pull and some pups in military uniform. Let's take a look at these fun stories and more. Doritos has taken the cheese stretching trend on social media and elevated it to a whole new level. They recently constructed a massive 14-foot-high pile of nachos at the iconic Cheddar Gorge in Somerset, the home of Britain's favorite cheese. To achieve the ultimate cheese stretch, a skilled helicopter pilot dipped a large nacho into a specially blended cheese. To everyone's amazement, the cheese stretched to an impressive 49 feet without snapping. This achievement has earned them the title of the highest ever cheese stretch in the world. Would you buy a dinosaur skeleton? This one named Barry was uncovered on private property in northeastern Wyoming. This magnificent creature lived approximately 150 million years ago during the Jurassic period. Standing at nearly 7 feet tall and over 16 feet long, Barry's skeleton is an impressive sight. What's even more remarkable is that over 80% of the bones in the skeleton are original. It will soon be shared with the public in mid-October before being put up for auction. Experts predict that it could fetch up to $1.2 million. Scientists say the oldest aquarium fish in the world is likely older than they originally thought. An Australian lungfish named Methuselah arrived at Steinhardt Aquarium in San Francisco in November 1938. Until now, scientists estimate she is currently about 84 years old, but using DNA testing of a small a sample of one of her fins, they've determined she's 92 years old and could possibly be up to 101. 
Methuselah has outlived more than 230 other fish during her time at the aquarium. At the annual military parade in Chile, the adorable and energetic members of the Canine Brigade stole the show. 76 dogs proudly marched alongside their handlers. These charming pups undergo extensive training to acclimate to large crowds and noise, guaranteeing a flawless performance. Since their introduction in 2017, these police puppies have quickly become beloved stars, captivating the hearts of onlookers. We all need breaks and measured indulgences from time to time. They bring us the comfort we sometimes need. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. On some days, you might feel tired or emotionally drained. When you feel like this, try to recognize your physical, mental, and emotional state and ask yourself what you need. We often don't recognize when we're feeling drained. We focus on what we think we need to be doing and push on. This might feel necessary, but it's really helpful. This is because we are forcing ourselves to act when we are depleted. So pause, take a breath, and check in with yourself. Ask, what do I need? Here are a few small comforts to consider. A minute of breathing and being present to what you are feeling. A luxurious stretch, a hot cup of tea, a hot shower, a relaxing walk in nature, some berries or another delicious fruit, a hug from a loved one, a meditation session, curling up with a good book, a massage, sitting in a hot tub, and sitting with someone and listening to music. Small comforts are generally risk-free, but here are a few tips that can help you to get the most out of them. Number one, avoid overdoing it. Many of us are capable of overindulgence when it comes to comforts. This can be to the point of approaching addiction. There's nothing wrong with food, TV, or video games, for example, but just have them in nice small doses. Number two, face discomfort when you can. You can't always be comfortable. If that's your goal, you'll end up shrinking from life. Learn to embrace discomfort and go without, as that's how we grow and prove to ourselves that we are able. Number three, let go of guilt. This video is about small comforts, not guilty pleasures. Comforts, when we need them, are healthy and wonderful. See if you can give yourself full permission to savor these small pleasures. And number four, be present and enjoy them. Eating a treat isn't much of a comfort if you are distracted by your phone. Let yourself fully savor and find the wonderful and deliciousness in small comforts. I hope you'll give yourself permission to take care of yourself when you need it. Here's to the small comforts in life. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.